welcome to How I Got Here, the inside stories of startups and innovation in travel and transportation with your hosts, FocusWire's Kevin May and Mozio's David Litwack. Welcome to uh, How I Got Here. These are the inside stories behind travel startups, innovation in uh, you know travel, transportation, hospitality. So welcome everybody. Um, our our next guest or uh, this guest, this episode's guest is Gareth Williams. Now um, maybe he doesn't need some introduction, but we'll do one anyway. I mean, arguably, it's one of the biggest success stories of the online travel era. You know, Skyscanner went from an idea at university to becoming part of the growing sea trip empire after a 1.7 billion deal uh, was that three years ago now so gareth one of the co-founders and the ceo led the company from its humble beginnings i guess as a flight search engine to what is now a major global brand over those 16 years he then stepped down a little time after the acquisition and he now sits in the non-exec chairperson seat at the company. Um, welcome to How I Got Here, Gareth. It's uh, very nice of you to join us today. Thank you very much. Okay, yeah, right. So we always start these things off with asking you to just kind of give us your two minute how you got here and uh, we'll kind of take things from there. All right, let's get started. Um, I mean, I loved online, everything that was happening online. It was, it was pretty idealistic back then. And, um, but we, we, me and Bon and Barry, my co-founders, um, were doing other stuff, still in technology, but we're doing other stuff during the dot-com crazy years. And it was only during the dot-com bust that we decided to do something ourselves. And um, we had several ideas. This one to do with basically just finding out who flies where. It was pretty simple and pretty frustrating that it didn't exist in full form. Um, we decided to do that instead of, you know, a uh, bar and restaurant infinite jukebox for music and things, <laughs> property search, you know. Uh, we decided to do this, uh, I think at least in part, because um, we'd built a prototype and could see how it worked and um, were pretty keen on it. So we got started. We really didn't give ourselves enough, enough of a chance that we deserve to ask friends and family for funding or anything like that. Um, it was the dot-com bust years. There was no one really investing at the time. So we just got stuck in, did it ourselves. Um, we've, it's quite a long journey. We've grown year on year. I mean, I think I counted up the number of quarters of year on year growth. Uh, it, was quite, it was a lot and still continues, which I'm really pleased about. Um, and we're sort of up to uh, around about 100 million people using us each month. So it's been very fascinating, um, very humbling in many ways. Um, so many things we did wrong and um, fundamentally um, uh, rewarding in many, many ways as well. Cool. Well, uh, this is David here from Mozio. Thanks a lot for uh, coming on the podcast today, Gareth. Um, I'm curious to get a little insight um, about how, you know, what led to your rise. So, uh, you know, for consumer travel, there's a, a tendency to just pay a billion dollars to Google for AdWords uh, and participate in that rat race. Um, but you were able to create a consumer uh, brand. Uh, and I'm curious how you did it. Was there some secret or, um, or was it just, you know, execution early enough? Yeah, I think there's a couple of things to that. I think in online travel particularly, uh, I, I mean, it's sometimes called online travel the field of broken entrepreneurial dreams. Um, and one of the big problems that I, I didn't think about until many years after we started was someone came along to Skyscanner today and they said, great job, Skyscanner. I'll definitely use you next year. You know, and there's lots of people that, that go on a big trip, say involving a flight, uh, and they only do that once or maybe twice a year. So, and, and that is, that really is a killer for a bootstrapped or, or, a, you know, someone who's in a hurry, um, or needs to deploy lots of funding it, because it can take a long time for someone that you've convinced you provide value to, 
to um, come back and, and show up in the numbers. Now, my perception over the years is most startups over under that sort of pressure start inevitably to become transactional in that they've got to make it work when they get a visitor because next year is too far away. Um, you know, funding will dry up, they'll spend all their money, um, people will lose confidence, all those sorts of things. And of course, you've got investors in that are then saying, um, well, my other company for, um, you know, onceadayreminder.com is sort of growing like this, so how come you're not? And um, so many, many startups start from the premise that um, let's provide value to users and then as, as it grows and they acquire salaries and things to pay, you know, they, they learn about business. But most of the time, I think, um, that swing happens too much. Um, and it's partly because of the dynamics of online travel, that relative infrequency. Um, I think for us, we just fundamentally believed that we were doing it, that the main reason was to provide value to travelers. Um, we look at things strategically as a two-sided marketplace now. Uh, so we care a lot about airlines and, tr and travel suppliers, people who make beds and things. But to begin with, we didn't so much think of them at all. We, we just said we're going to provide a really useful service to travelers. And if we do a good enough job, it will eventually lead to some sort of value creation or ability to, to stay afloat. So I think in the early years, it was really useful that we bootstrapped our way up there. And secondly, this, I think we were first of all product people, second of all business people. Is that, um, it's interesting that you say that Gareth. So did the business elements come some way after building the product in terms of what you were focusing on? Um, yeah, I mean, we, um, we did our best to, to build up revenues and uh, at the beginning, I mean, we needed to, we needed our own confidence. But yeah, I remember our first um, commercial director that joined us and uh, a couple, few years later, um, he sort of mentioned that um, he felt like he'd joined someone's hobby uh, rather than a business. Um, <laughs> and I think he, he joined that at, the perfect time because he could focus on putting some commerciality around what we were doing. Um, whereas we were worried about that, but we were more concerned that someone uh, would come back. So our very first stat that we tracked and we used to SMS it from the server. Uh, the server used to be up in our lofts originally. And, uh, and we used to, text uh, our daily stats and the very first one was repeat visitors and you know that grew pretty slowly but it was the one that told us someone had used us and got enough value that they decided to come back to us now um on that getting customers side thing i mean google was what four years old around the time that you launched and was probably nowhere near as powerful as it is now in terms of a customer acquisition kind of vehicle what was your kind of idea and plan at that stage to just get people in the front door to use the thing? Well, um, so I think we, and perhaps speak for myself, but I think um, I made the very common mistake, which is build it and they will come. And um, it was kind of like, don't know how this marketing stuff works. Well, we'll try not to worry about it. Let's build it and, and people will come more. And um, I think Google was, was in those days was a big inspiration for us in terms of um, the dramatic effect better quality software can have. Um, but I, as a traffic source, it wasn't until um, we started looking at, well, how do you appear in their search results that, that it then became of any significance to us. How long, how, after, how long after the launch was that? Was that a couple of years in that kind of yeah, turning, that, turning point? Yeah, I think, I think it was probably two or three years. And, um, 
and an advisor, um, Jules Pancholi, sat me down and, and said, uh, this is how it works. And, and I went, oh, okay, I had no idea. And one of the things I've observed is, is technical people often just really aren't interested in how you appear in search engine results. And, and I wasn't particularly, but we really did need to get the traffic. Um, and so we came up with a system um, and how to do it. And we sat down and I think one of the key things that relates to earlier is we actually sat down and said, how do we actually answer the question implied by what someone tied, typed in? And I think because we did that, um, we didn't have to revisit it for a long time. You know, we weren't caught out by penalties and all the rest of it. We were, we were extremely um, uh, congruent with, with what um, Google was trying to achieve there. And so that gradually and over time um, made, was a, a big plus for us. And I think I always, always and uh, I think many of us shared this thought that um, we really, I mean, Google was doing really well. We just, it didn't seem right to be a kind of Piketty, Thomas Piketty mechanism for getting slightly rich people's money and making Google even richer. It just seemed a, a, a weird way to go about things. So... Um, we were very, very light uh, in using um, in using Google advertising um, for quite a long time. Yeah, I guess there's an aside to that. Your comment about taking rich people's money and making Google richer—that's something that resonates with some major OTAs these days. But it's probably uh, something that we can move on from, David. Yeah. So um, I was a wanted to delve a little bit quicker, uh, start deeper into, you mentioned you guys didn't really have a marketing strategy when you started. I feel like the first time I heard of Skyscanner was when I was backing around Europe uh, and you guys had a feature that you could search from, you know, London to anywhere. And I remember that got a lot of play among the backpackers and they'd, they'd pass it around. And um, I'm curious at all if there was uh, any kind of thoughts about, you know, how you target young, you know, uh, which I, I'm not, I think this is basically what you ended up doing, but I'm not sure if it was on purpose. And did you have any target market in mind? Uh, at what point did you kind of start thinking about this? Yeah, I think, I think you're supposed to be uh, embarrassed these days, but we built it to solve what we thought our problems were that weren't unique. Um, so we were trying to solve it for ourselves. Um, and, and I immediately had a um, the broad view over a calendar problem and I also had uh, traveled a lot so I had the browse anywhere problem so we used to I remember there's a fun period of things when we were going even when we get all this data how do we want to display it to people and we didn't have any kind of background in GDSs or, or anything else. And so we just thought about it from first principles. Um, and shopping results are, are keyed around particular days. Well, that's fairly arbitrary as well. So um, there was a, a degree of naivety, but I think also a degree of playfulness about what is the best way to give people um, the data uh, around and turn it into information around, well, where can you go? Where's, where is interesting? Um, so we were, I think we would have lost interest in a way if we hadn't been able to work on those features um, as a way of bringing something that was, that we didn't see other people doing. I want to you know, follow up on that a little bit. You guys were one of the first to at least start thinking about multimodal with your acquisition of uh, Zumbu. Um, I think it's, you know, become very trendy recently. Uh, the first, you know, one was probably Rome to Rio, but then Go Euro, now Omeo, who we also interviewed uh, as well. Uh, and then, uh, you know, even guys, guys like Kiwi.com are starting to add uh, various forms of transportation in. Um, 
how do you like, I feel like this is relevant to what you just said about different ways of displaying info and just solving your own problem. The multimodal problem has been one that has been there for a long time. How did you guys think about solving that? Did you make a really big effort to do it after you acquired Zumbu or, or what? Yeah, we did. Um, I think the, so I remember at about that time, um, in Edinburgh, there's a, the main bus company is called Lothian Buses. And um, they had a semi-open API. And there was two people. One person built an iPhone app and one person built an Android app. And, um, and they, they were programmers. They didn't do much to promote it. And I was looking at the stats and I kind of looked into how many people are using us in Edinburgh today. And I, and I looked at these one-person part-time efforts uh, around buses. And the amusing conclusion was they're kicking our ass in, um, in usage and awareness and um, in the hometown of where we're based. And, you know, that led on to a lot of thoughts around, okay, what's the frequency of the service um, and, and those sorts of things. But the initial insight was, hang on, um, we don't want to pay other entities lots and lots of money forever um, or start doing that. So we need to build loyalty. And one of the best ways to build loyalty is frequency. So at that time, we were thinking, well, okay, if we can do from the short, like a bus, through to the rail and then the intercity rail, um, well, I guess that's, you know, the classic reasoning line um, around a lot of this. Um, where it fell down is, um, is that we had so much to do in flights that um, we weren't able to concentrate at that time enough on, um, uh, on multimodal. So it kind of remained an aspiration rather than a this is the thing that we must do. What do you think of the, the players trying to tackle it now, if you don't mind me asking? Do you think uh, the timing is right? Or, um, yeah, what do you think about their approach? Yeah, I think there's uh, a lot of utility. Um, the, I think the, the big problem is the uh, user interface. And I think um, being able to solve it as an assistant rather than as a comprehensive di display and to be trusted to make the right choices is probably required uh, in order to really nail it. Um, it's, uh, and then of, of course, um, you, you know, that is, that seems to be a key part of the direction that, that Google's going. So you've got to somehow be, uh, achieve the label of every, moving about the world in time and space, that's us. Um, whereas a, we're good for, say, British transport and we've got these modes here, but we've got those modes over there. I think you've got to do the whole lot. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we, we spoke to, as, as David was referencing, we spoke to uh, um, uh, Omeo and got some interesting stuff on that. So um, I, I wanted to go kind of take you back a little bit. I'm curious, you know, there was the three co-founders, you and Bonham and Barry. How did you decide who was going to have this two-part two question? How did you decide who was going to take each role? And you, you said earlier, Gareth, that, you you know, you were a product focused business second when did you switch from being a product guy to having to be the business guy as the ceo um and was it difficult having to do that well i'll answer the second one first i'm tempted to say i never switched and <laughs> that i mainly um solved it through hiring the best people we were able to do um on the commercial uh side of things um, I think I don't have any accountancy background or whatever, but to me, a, um, a management accounts and management report, um, what they're showing is 
the deep underlying question is, does the world care whether you exist? And care enough in order to pay for you to go into work today? And that, I think, is, you know, it's completely the, the growth metrics, you know, acquisition, activation, um, retention, uh, referral revenue. They're actually a codifying of the dynamic loop that is how my understanding of a big part of how uh, business works. So I think I never really lost the product focus. Um, I never, uh, I mean, I'm well known for telling people that every CEO is a wanker. Um, you know, it's not my, it's not particularly deep in my uh, soul as what I am. Um, but I never, I'm very glad I did it because I, I learned a lot. Um, so the, uh, so that's the second, the second, the, the second part of it. On the first part of it, it was um, it was very informal. Um, we just did the things that we were each better at, and um, and you do something with friends, and you kind of assume you haven't got any, you know. I mean, I didn't have a very successful career. You kind of assume that you know you kind of okay but you're probably a bit rubbish and maybe your friends are a bit rubbish they're certainly annoying at times and what i've realized is actually they were incredibly good at what they did and um, had skills in directions that we never knew were important and um and so for a quite a long time and i think it was only when we went to go get funding and you know um people wearing suits would kind of say, well, you've got to choose a role. One of you's got to be CEO. And we kind of go, well, why? Um, and, but eventually we decided to do that. And, um, and uh, fundamentally, um, I think not, none of us really wanted to be CEO. And, and I certainly thought, you know, it was a bit of a, it was a bit of a jumped up position and the, the real star in the startup was to be a CTO. Um, my only problem was uh, I didn't want some idiot telling me what to do. So we had a real problem about deciding who's going to be CEO. And um, eventually, um, I think partly because of I did the underhand tactic of voting for myself, uh, <laughs> I became CEO. So uh, it wasn't very clear cut uh, decision. And um, I, <laughs> It certainly wasn't a obvious uh, decision for uh, some time afterwards. I, I, I've always, uh, I, I say this as respectfully as I can, I always sense that you were a, a kind of a, a reluctant CEO and almost you've kind of explained that now that perhaps, perhaps you were. Yes, yeah. I mean, it was, I think the thing that we were good at was um, all that mattered was whether we one according to what we defined winning as right. not getting there um you know the world didn't care about excuses or write-up of lessons learned and things like that because you know at in those days stuck down in leaf well nobody was paying any attention to it so because it was so results orientated um you know we were all prepared to take on parts of the jobs that we'd really rather not and, and as, you, as, you, as you grew into that, as the reluctant CEO who, by your definition, was perhaps a wanker, um, you know, it's, is there anything that you got into that you just thought, oh my goodness, I'm a little bit out of my depth, you know, just, you know, whether it was the fundraising or even later on when you were starting to clearly have serious discussions with uh, potential acquirers? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think that, happened a lot um, and I think the the biggest things I one of the things I really regret was I had a lot of the arrogant traits of um, technologists which were management doesn't matter um, don't need an HR department marketing will in some future skyscanner towers 
marketing will be in the basement and um, and programming in, in the top floor. Um, and things that are essentially saying to other people um, what you've learnt or what your skill base is don't matter. What matters is the tech. And I'm kind of embarrassed about that now. Um, and I think you can see a lot of it right out in um, even bigger uh, or you know extremely large companies at certain points. Um, and so I think the thing that I, I wasn't prepared for was actually we're in a people business and mm. it matters what people think. It matters what um, they want and it matters how well we all work together, which is the fundamental variable. Um, say you're a team of 20 people. Um, if 20 people are doing uh, working somewhere between 50% and 150% of what they might normally do. There's another factor, which is how does the environment work either with or against you in making the sum of the parts much better? And that's such a complicated um, question, one that generally doesn't live in the absolutes, but in, the, in between the extremes, that, um, I mean, it's, uh, you can spend a lifetime doing it and still feel you're nowhere in terms of reaching conclusions. So uh, I gained a respect for what people achieve with groups of people um, that I never had before. As a child, all my heroes were individual contributors, uh, sports people, authors, you know, that sort of thing. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's a real talent and one that I only partially learned to be able to coordinate the efforts, the willing efforts of lots of other people. Great. Once I bring the questioning over to a little bit to your guys' uh, B2B business, I, I think I can't count the number of times where I've heard a startup pitch and I ask them how they're getting their flight info and they go, oh, we're using SkyScanner's <laughs> API. And I remember, you know, I've been, I've been in the travel industry for nine years and I remember at one point, uh, Mozio was trying to solve the multimodal problem, and uh, we actually got past a bootleg copy of the API docs to Kayak's API for the brief moment that it was in existence, and that's yeah. how we built our first prototype. But I was shocked, you know, honestly, um, we obviously Mozio moved on to other things other than multimodal, so we didn't have the need for a flight API, but I remember tuning back in and realizing you guys had opened up and were basically helping a lot of different startups out. And I want to understand why you guys made that decision and maybe in the context of your wider B2B strategy. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting one. The, um, that B2B uh, or B2Web as, or um, side of things, um, the very origins of it, um, at least for me, were asking our CFO, how do we turn finance into um, a revenue line? Um, because the feeling was that if you've got product, then you've got momentum. You want to improve it, uh, et cetera. And, um, and we started thinking about data as a service. And one of the things um, that felt natural to us was we've got, a shed load of quotes. I mean, it's billions and billions per day. And um, we feel good about the value we're providing for that. But there's the thing that's good for us is, you know, that um, use of that data leading to more bookings makes commercial agreements more likely. But there was also the point that the data has cost resources um, and um, both for us and just in, in generating it, etc. And so it should be used more widely. Um, I think way back in the day, um, I used to talk about um, free GDS. And it was just this concept that actually this information should be ubiquitous um, and that the value comes from other things, from 
from someone having the confidence to purchase. Um, but generally in our industry in flights, um, actually getting the information at all was, it was a paid thing, which just put the kibosh on so many startups. So part of it was it's the best, it's the right thing to do. Part of it was it, it would be good for us. Um, and part of it was memory of just how painful it was for us when we, we kind of realized that actually this data is really, really hard to get hold of. Very cool. No, I, I know the, the startup community is uh, quite thankful. So, um, <laughs> Kevin? Yeah, so where was the first acquisition, Gareth? Uh, I think that was Zumbu, uh, Rachel and Alistair, um, with their multimodal. Um, they brought, um, definitely brought strong elements of what they built into Skyscanner um, and became, you know, leading execs at Skyscanner for quite some time. So I think that was our first one. And, and was there any kind of degree of trepidation that, you know, we're almost a, a, a grown up startup now, now that we are actually making acquisitions? That's a good point. Um, yeah, I don't remember thinking that. I think it was, I think it was that just ever persistent. Um, the world, the sky's going to fall. We've got to move quicker, and that was um, that was therefore um, something that made a lot of sense to us, um, and thankfully did uh, to them as well. Um, so, I, yeah, I don't remember noticing that milestone, as it were, which you're quite right to call out. It's, it's interesting. You, you said it just then, you always wondered if the sky was going to fall. I mean, that's, it's that, did you feel like you were always on the back foot or there was someone that was always going to come along and uh, massively overused word in this industry, disrupt, but did you always sense that there was something coming, might come around the corner that might put you on the back foot a bit? Yeah, I mean, I think in retrospect, that sense of urgency, not paranoia, because um, they are after you, um, but uh, was at a level that um, meant that we didn't recognize that actually we did have a bit more time and could think things through longer and, and learned that a bit better over time. Um, but overall, I think it was a, a net positive um, and really, it was around, I think I've always seen it as a, um, or the way that I cast it in my own mind was, this is a question about how fast you can release quality software. Um, that was the primary uh, thing um, to solve. Um, and that other things, it could be very big problems, but um, if you can't, uh, the quicker you can release high quality and appropriate software to your users, the greatest chance you have of not being overtaken um, by a startup or being outcompeted by an incumbent. Now, you know, 16 years uh, under your tenure is a, is a fairly long time, but I would imagine the competitive threat landscape changed quite considerably over that time. Just, uh, just briefly, I know David's got some thoughts on this that he wants to run by you, but who over those, say, let's say 15 years, over, put them into five-year chunks, yeah. who did you see as the, the competitors, the main competitor or the brand that you were most worried about over those different three, uh, five-year periods? Um. I'd say um, Google was in each of those three periods oh, okay. and probably no greater or no less of a concern in any of those three periods for different reasons over the course of time. Mm. Um, at the very beginning, um, I remember we, we designed and we built and, and you know, we'd not just build a website, but we'd built a a, a back-end data system and, and lots of work and getting towards the end of that uh, probably two-month period 
um, I came across a UK site. Um, I think it was called Apple Fairs or Airfares, and uh, and and it was like, oh, that's what we're trying to build. And I remember sitting back and thinking, we're too late, um, and being really. Um, really despondent about it. And the same thing happened, a bit more research, and came across this um, really interesting browser extension called Sidestep. And, um, and, you know, that was really worrying. And I hadn't learned that it was, um, it was just about long periods of, of executing well or as well as you can do. Um, so at the beginning, it was things like that, and I think Stelios started a easy compare way back in time. Yep. Uh, moving on a bit, of course, um, Kayak, um, from our perspective, sort of came out of nowhere and, and was, you know, raising money that um, I wasn't even sure how many zeros uh, uh, were involved. Uh, um, a quarter of a billion, you know, it was back in the day when when a billion meant something, if you see what I mean. So, um, it's uh that was quite scary and and i think that had a a big impact because it was they were doing it in a different way and it was kind of look from the outside and and, and i think from the inside as well it was kind of working that way um so that caused some angst um sorry when you say working that way do you mean like it was working for them that they were fundraising lots of money really quickly as opposed to your kind of more traditional bootstrap is that what you mean yes uh yes absolutely but also more than i think they did more than um raise lots of money and spend it on advertising or, or whatever they they set out to build the best software company that they could and they did really well at that and so it was um you know, and they, they were an object lesson in achieving things at pace. Um, so I think, you know, that definitely um, made us think a lot and it made us um, uh, try to speed up um, and, and influenced how we thought about funding and, and that sort of thing. Um, I think in the end, we, things played out in the way that, we'd kind of set up as, which was um, more around the bootstrapping side, more around the optimize, uh, get better at something and then hire someone rather than sort of bring people in and, and try and get better at the same time. Um, yeah, there's, and there's many answers to that, but, but kayak were, really impressive because I reckon over the years there's probably been you could have a well you probably know better not this better Kevin but I reckon there's been 250 funded companies let alone the ones that didn't get funding um, doing in a very similar space that we're in and and I think kayak was was the one where we went oh we are a bit worried about about these guys um, Later on, um, I think, you know, the last five years, I would say I've been more worried about horizontal players than vertical players. So what I mean by that is, is the, the companies out there that attempt to provide services for everything you need, whether it be via social or via hardware and software like Apple or, or through e-commerce and Amazon, um, uh, those sorts of companies, I think, in the long term, um, play, and of, obviously Google is one of those. Um, and I think that's where it's it goes to another level, which is in order to survive, you got to start uh, doing much more um, and providing value in across uh, a wider spectrum of activity, um, which we've been doing um, and um, is no small task that my um, illustrious successor has uh, taken on um, at, at Skyscanner. Um, I tried telling him it's about two weeks work, but uh, <laughs> he wasn't having any of it. Yeah, I wanted to you know, just follow up on that because you see obviously a lot of consolidation and you know, 90% of that is uh, you know, Priceline or, 
or I guess now booking now or Expedia buying just another flight search engine, but uh, booking bought open table, of course, and uh, they're moving into, you know, different uh, verticals like that. Um, how have you thought about that? I've heard from other OTAs about that them going more local um, and to, you know, even food delivery, I heard from one and, and kind of along the lines of what you were saying about that transit app getting a lot more play um, because of frequency. So uh, how, where do you, what do you think, you know, two, two part question here, what do you think of the, uh, the two, what the two big groups are doing, Expedia and Booking? And, you know, if you were, you know, what would you think a good strategy would be for strategically expanding into more and more services? Well, I th- I think the detail around that is something that um, we've talked a lot about internally. Um, so going into any detail, that, that's a question for, for Brian now um, in terms of what things look like going forward. And, and I'm, I'm really excited about where we could end up. I mean, uh, I would say exhaustion was a greater uh, factor than any loss of ambition, and I think Skyscanner can still grow to a um, hundred times um, potentially of where we are right now. Um, so I think those things are incredibly important. I don't really want to talk about what our exact take on it is, um, but I suppose what I would say is that. Um, there's definitely a drive, an ever-increasing drive towards winner-takes-all, which is an unfortunate consequence of the effects of um, internet technology and, and how that rolls out and what, what the relative impact of variable and fixed costs and how easy it is to gain customers in other countries, all those things. Um, and that tends to then accentuate the land grab type things like in you know the Uber scenarios and kind of um, it means in means there is a danger that the way that we did it wouldn't work anymore um, and it's a, I think it's an open question whether the luxury of funding has become the absolute requirement of funding, um, which would be a shame if that's the case. Um, so my overall is thing is, um, I think you've got to cast something as uh, sufficiently big that you cover um, you cover a big swathe of the information needs and, and e-commerce needs of. Um, a significant part of the world economy type thing. It's interesting. You're just talking about the, the you know, the, the luxury versus requirement of funding. I mean, just broadly, I mean, you must look at the money that swills around from a venture capital and stuff like that and think, my goodness, what could we have done if we were starting now with a, with a, with what was a, would be a nascent product. I mean, it's just extraordinary the amount of money that there is kicking about. Yes. Um, I mean, I don't know that we would have achieved a lot more, I, although we've had um, access to a lot of capital and, and I think um, my success do uh, much better. In actual fact, we only spent $6 million of investors money. So all value that was created only involved the spending of $6 million um, of investor capital, which is, is pretty good capital efficiency. Um, I think we, we had to learn the lessons as we go. Um, I think one of the biggest problems in having a startup outside of the, the typical zones is how much you have to learn. You know, the ability to shortcut by hiring a uh, third in charge at Twitter or, or wherever um, <laughs> of engineering or in marketing or in wherever. Um, the amount that they bring, you know, so it's a constant flow of shared techniques and, and learning that's living in the heads of the team. As founders, as, as CEOs, as, um, as people who join startups not in those centers, 
um, there is a real danger that you're not picking up that knowledge that you need. Um, and I think it's way more significant than um, funding, although funding is, is an important issue. Um, so kind of see um, raising capital is, is kind of like economic rent on time. Um, and actually, if you're not prepared to sell something in order to gain time, someone else will. Yeah, it's, it, 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 it's interesting. I mean, just we're coming up into the last, you know, five or 10 minutes now. I, 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 I'm curious, what do you, in the history of, you know, the, of Skyscanner, what do you think was the biggest kind of startup pain point that you had to face along that, along that road? And how did you get over it or get through it? Well, there were quite a few. Um, All right, give us the give us the biggest one then. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I think um, I think getting uh, I th there was uh, a point where we'd given absolutely everything we could, and for a while, it just had no effect. We tried to grow. We looked at marketing. We um, we tried to raise our revenue per per user, and that didn't work. Um, we were trying to re do releases, and they were they were taking a month or longer each to do, um, and it was just really dispiriting because because everything we were trying to do didn't work. Um, so, Sorry, to get Gareth. Just a, yeah. what period in time was that so that's probably about seven seven years ago i would say so we we'd got big enough that you needed to really think about things and what the good thing was is that led to a period of like really doing well at um mobile first um it started a process to continuous genuine continuous release um, with huge number of testing and, and um, automated um, monitoring. Um, so it led to good things, but it was an extremely painful period to, for us to kind of go, well, why isn't this working anymore? But you got through it, obviously, and you, I think for a while, and maybe you still are, you were the most downloaded uh, travel app around at one point. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, and that was um, that was really really great as as that succeeded. That was probably the biggest sort of um, whoosh moment. Um, um, but that's that's continued. Um, so it's it's and I th yeah, and it, it is that thing is your your revenues come from desktop, but your growth is coming from mobile. So many companies have seen that and um, it's played out in so many different ways. Um, and I think because we're very product focused, um, we weren't slow in going where our users were going. So to wrap up here, I think um, it's appropriate to get wrap up with this uh, question, uh, which is obviously you guys chose after so many years to sell to Ctrip. Um, I would love to get kind of an anatomy of that acquisition, how it came about, um, uh, what you guys were thinking and, uh, yeah. And as much as you can tell us about, you know, how, how things are, are going now. Yeah. Um, we were kind of faced with either continuing as we were, um, or setting off the early motion for an IPO, um, or looking at acquisition uh, acquisition options um, in the end I didn't think we were big enough to be the sort of IPO that we wanted to be um, to have agency to be able to make strategic decisions in the direction that we were going to go and I could be wrong on that um, certainly um, there was a lot of debate internally around that but my feeling was we'd be a relatively small fish compared to the very large online travel companies and certainly compared to the companies that had 
the, the decision-making that um, can, can be achieved by Googles and Facebooks. Um, so that looked a bit unattractive. I thought we, we're going to be put into, I don't know, price comparison or, or um, marketplace segmentation and, and we're not going to do the transitions that we need to do. Um, just, just, of, on, just sorry, Gareth, just on that. I mean, Kayak went public though, didn't it? Uh, yes, um, they they'd, uh, they'd done very well in um, in making some of the transitions, some of the transitions uh, earlier than we did, um, but also, um, yeah, I don't, um, I, I, they they got bought, so. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, they weren't a public company for very long, admittedly. That's, yeah, that's true. So, and then when we looked at acquisition, you know, we looked at what had worked uh, before. And I think we came to the conclusion, is it of interest that we stay autonomous? Um, and in the end, um, the majority acquiring company gets to make that decision um, and as it should be. Um, but we were very keen to at least express that we thought as a team, we've got a long way to go. And that chimed, uh, there's been a, a number of, of deals that have been on that basis. And, and that chimed with several, um, several other parties. Uh, I think the reason from a personal perspective, the reason for, going with C-Trip was um, several fold, really. One was that it was an opportunity to, to witness from the front row um, some sort of global geopolitical history being made. Um, you know, the China joining, um, becoming biggest economy and, um, and everything that, that flows from that is interesting, no matter what your take on it is. Um, and so that made, uh, that was interesting. The second one was on the point of autonomy. Um, we were pretty convinced um, that not only would they seek to provide anything they were reasonably able to provide to us, but they were completely aligned that they want us, us to continue growing the Skyscanner brand and to succeed in um, a global scale. And they've been um, extremely good on that front um, uh, since then. So a, f a final one for me, just a quick one. Um, and then David can, uh, can wrap things up for us. Our, our <laughs> Clearly, our most, our most reluctant CEO that we've had on so far, just you know, going back to what you were saying initially, yeah. uh, even though you are a reluctant CEO, tell us now that you're the, the chairperson, what do you miss most about being the CEO, if there is anything? Uh, yeah, no, there is a lot. Um, I've had my head down in uh, mathematics books, basically making up for my uh, awful performance at university <laughs> um, and and so you definitely miss uh, some of the adrenaline rush and actually there's a huge amount of camaraderie and shared experience um, that you go through when when you go through a, a long period of intense very intense work so I'm still in touch with everybody but I could see um, you know they, they've still got that going and and I'm delighted to see the, the, the way that things are, are panning out. Um, but yeah, I, I'm now watching and cheering rather than directly involved in it. And, uh, uh, and so, yeah, maybe I, I, I uh, became a bit addicted to something that uh, I didn't initially, uh, you know, I thought it was mahogany panels and cigars and <laughs> glass of port type thing um, uh, was my previous impression. Thank you very much, David. Yeah, all very cool.
Well, thanks for joining us today, Gareth. Uh, I think this has been quite illuminating. Um, this has been How I Got Here, Mozio and Focus Wire's podcast with Kevin May from Focus Wire and myself, David Litwack from Mozio. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time. And thanks again, Gareth. Thank you, David. Thank you, Kevin. Thanks for listening to the How I Got Here podcast. We'll be back next week with more inside stories behind startups and innovation in travel and transportation. Check mozio.com slash move for a complete write-up of the highlights of every podcast with translations into five languages. And get your daily dose of news on the digital travel economy by subscribing to the newsletter at focuswire.com. See you next week. drive an ever increasing drive towards winner takes all which is an unfortunate consequence of the effects of um, internet technology and, and how that rolls out and what what the relative impact of variable and fixed costs and how easy it is to gain customers in other countries all those things um, and that tends to then accentuate the land grab type things like in you know the uber scenarios and kind of um it means in means there is a danger that the way that we did it wouldn't work anymore um and it's a, i think it's an open question whether the luxury of funding has become the absolute requirement of funding, um, which would be a shame if that's the case. Designed and we'd built and and you know we'd not just build a website but we'd built a, a, a back-end data system and and lots of work and getting towards the end of that probably two month period um, I came across a UK site um, I think it was called Apple Fairs or Airfares and uh, and and it was like oh that's what we're trying to build and I remember sitting back and thinking we're too late um and being really um really despondent about it and the same thing happened a bit more research and came across this um really interesting browser extension called sidestep and um and you know that was really worrying and i hadn't learned that it was um it was just about long periods of of executing well or as well as you can do um, so at the beginning, it was things like that. And I think Stelios started the easy compare way back to time. Uh, moving on a bit, of course, um, Kayak, um, from our perspective, sort of came out of nowhere and, and was, you know, raising money that um, I wasn't even sure how many zeros uh, uh, were involved. Uh, um, a quarter of a billion, you know, it was back in the day when, when a billion meant something, if you see what I mean. So, um, it's uh that was quite scary and and i think that had a, a big impact because it was they were doing it in a different way and it was kind of look from the outside and, and and i think from the inside as well it was kind of working that way um so that caused some angst um sorry when you say working that way do you mean like it was working for them that they were fundraising lots of money really quickly as opposed to your kind of more traditional bootstrap is that what you mean yes uh yes absolutely but also more than i think they did more than um raise lots of money and spend it on 
advertising or, or whatever, they, they set out to build the best software company that they could and they did really well at that. And so it was, um, you know, and they, they were an object lesson in achieving things at pace. Um, so I think, you know, that definitely um, made us think a lot and it made us um, uh, try to speed up um, and, and influenced how we thought about funding and, and that sort of thing. Um, I think in the end, we, things played out in the way that we'd kind of set up as, which was um, more around the bootstrapping side, more around the optimize, uh, get better at something and then hire someone rather than sort of bring people in and, and try and get better at the same time. Um, yeah, there's, and there's many answers to that, but, but kayak were really impressive because I reckon over the years, there's probably been, you could have a, well, you'd probably know better not this better Kevin, but I reckon there's been 250 funded companies, let alone the ones that didn't get funding, um, doing, in a very similar space that we're in. And, and I think kayak was, was the one where we went, Oh, we are a bit worried about, about these guys. Um, later on, um, I think, you know, the last five years, I would say I've been more worried about horizontal players than vertical players. So what I mean by that is, is the, the companies out there that, attempt to provide services for everything you need, whether it be via social or via hardware and software like Apple or, or through e-commerce and Amazon. Um, uh, those sorts of companies, I think, in the long term um, play. And obviously, Google is one of those. Um, and I think that's where it's, it goes to another level, which is, in order to survive, you've got to start uh, doing much more um, and providing value in, across uh, a wider spectrum of activity, um, which we've been doing um, and um, is no small task that my um, illustrious successor has uh, taken on um, at at Skyscanner. Um, I tried telling him it's about two weeks work, but uh, <laughs> he wasn't having any of it. I want to follow up on that a little bit. You guys were one of the first to at least start thinking about multimodal with your acquisition of uh, Zumbu. Um, I think it's, you know, become very trendy recently. Uh, the first, you know, one was probably Rome to Rio, but then Go Euro, now Omeo, who we also interviewed uh, as well. Uh, and then, uh, you know, even guys, guys like Kiwi.com are starting to add uh, various forms of transportation in. Um, how do you, like, I feel like this is relevant to what you just said about different ways of displaying info and just solving your own problem. The multimodal problem has been one that has been there for a long time. How did you guys think about solving that? Did you make a really big effort to do it after you acquired Zumbu or, or what? Yeah, we did. Um, I think the, so I remember at about that time, um, in Edinburgh, there's a, the main bus company is called Lothian Buses, and um, they had a semi-open API, and there was two people. One person built an iPhone app, and one person built an Android app. And, um, and they, they were programmers. They didn't do much to promote it. And I was looking at the stats, and I kind of looked into how many people are using us in Edinburgh today. And I, and I looked at these one person part-time efforts uh, around buses. And the amusing conclusion was they're kicking our ass in, um, in usage and awareness and um, in the hometown of where we're based. 
And, you know, that led on to a lot of thoughts around, okay, what's the frequency of a service um, and, and those sorts of things. But the initial insight was, hang on, um, we don't want to pay other entities lots and lots of money forever um, or start doing that. So we need to build loyalty. And one of the best ways to build loyalty is frequency. So at that time, we were thinking, well, okay, if we can do from the short, like a bus, through to the rail and then the in-city rail. Um, well, I guess that's, you know, the classic reasoning line um, around a lot of this. Um, where it fell down is, um, is that we had so much to do in flights that um, we weren't able to concentrate at that time enough on... Um, uh, on multimodal. So it kind of remained an aspiration rather than a this is the thing that we must do. Yeah.